Welcome to Black Feminist Rants. I am Lakeel Williams, your resident black feminist. Thank y'all so much for tuning in for another video. Today's episode is actually going to be a live podcast conversation with Kennedy Malone. So this is just the intro, then we're going to get into the live podcast. I was so fortunate to be invited by Karis Bookstores to their... Welcome back. Welcome back to the Black Feminist Rants podcast. I am Lakia Williams, your resident black feminist. In today's episode, we're actually going to have... Okay, I don't like that. Welcome back to the black... Okay. Welcome... Mm. Welcome back to the Black Feminist Rants podcast. I am Lakia Williams, your resident black feminist. And today's episode is actually going to be a live conversation with a youth organizer and activist, Kennedy Malone. And so this is just the intro. Then we're going to get into the live podcast that was filmed in Decatur, Georgia at Karis Bookstores. Shout out to Karis Bookstores for inviting Black Feminist Rants to do the live podcast. Shout out to Agnes Scott College for inviting Black Feminist Rants myself to do a lecture at the college. I had a ball like I literally had so much fun. Thank you so much to Anastasia and Percy for just being so welcoming and hospitable and just loving. And I just loved it so much. But I don't want to take up too much time. But I'm going to segue us right into the live podcast. Thank you all again so much for listening to this episode. And if you want to have me at your location to speak or at your campus, email will be in the description box. Also, if you're listening to this episode on audio, if that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever it may be, consider going to YouTube to see the live podcast and to see the visuals because we are now a video podcast. So tap in with us. Also, subscribe to the podcast. Please subscribe on Spotify. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I love you. But please listen on Spotify because I'm able to monetize Spotify. So like, you know, just help me out a little bit. If not, it's cool. Just leave a five-star review on Apple and leave a comment. That's all I ask. Okay, thank y'all so much for listening. And I know y'all are going to enjoy this podcast because Kennedy is a rock star and it's a good one. Hello, welcome to the Black Feminist Rants podcast live and in person. I want to give a very special thank you to Anastasia and Agnes Scott. <laughs> college team and Percy for bringing me out here for this conversation. Thank you to Kennedy for joining me. Thank you to Karis Bookstores and ER for being just so gung-ho and excited to have us out here. And I didn't know y'all were a Plan B outpost, so I just want to give a round of applause to that. Being a resource in the community, and I actually got my start in reproductive justice doing Plan B um, resource outreach to the community, so definitely feel connected to that. So I'm super happy to be here and to be in discussion with you all. As you all heard, Kennedy is a rock star, an activist, a scholar, um, a black woman just doing all the things, so I'm super excited to be in conversation with you. Um, and to start us off, to kick off this episode, I'd love for you to share a piece of your reproductive justice story or your connection to the reproductive justice movement. Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. Um, when my first introduction to reproductive justice was actually during um, my Agnes Scott legacy experience because there was this video um, with oh I feel so, I feel so disrespectful, but um, with like the like critical founder of the reproductive justice framework who was an Agnes Scott alum. Mm, Loretta Ross. Loretta Ross. Yes, okay, yeah. thank you, thank you. Listen Lorraine to Ross. episode two of Black Women's <laughs> Rant to learn more about Loretta Ross. And um, hearing like the articulation of the reproductive mm. justice framework, I was like, this makes so much sense. And I love the way it kind of went past this sort of like, we want a codified right to abortion, mm -hmm. to like really think about life ways and the ways that we like can be humans. Mm -hmm. um, and then like that had kind of always resonated with how I thought about 
life and what it means to like go on a reproductive journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to have that language was really, really helpful. And then, of course, it was a tool when all of this stuff went down, like with Texas and then Georgia and then like the six-week heartbeat bill and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I also have a similar story in learning about Loretta Ross and kind of the really thoughtfulness that those black women had when they created the reproductive justice movement and creating a space for them that didn't exist prior. I really felt connected to that and that's why I found my home in the reproductive justice movement. So I'm glad that we, we share that, that connection. Um, so speaking a little bit more to you and your brilliance, I love that you combine scholarship with your organizing and your connection to the black feminist movement and the reproductive justice movement. So I'd love for you to talk about your work with autoethnography and how you just like research and study black girlhood through autoethnography. Autoethnography. Mm-hmm. So, my first introduction to autoethnography was through anthropology. Mm-hmm. So, I was familiar with ethnography as this method where you do this deep collaboration with a community and like do this sort of what we call thick description of like the, their life ways and the ways that they make sense of the world. Mm-hmm. And then my introduction to autoethnography was similar, but now we're thinking about how do we use our subjectivity and our person mm-hmm. as like the focus of our research to understand mm-hmm. these larger these larger systems or like these larger systematic processes. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was fabulous because there's <laughs> such, um, stigma's not the word I'm looking for, but I'll go with it. There's such a stigma on like objectivity and removing yourself from any sort of inquiry that should have like academic merit Mm -hmm. Um, and so then being invited into this practice of centering yourself and like engaging with this consideration of how you show up in this topic Mm -hmm. and not shying away from that one felt fabulous because it goes against the status quo Mm -hmm. two it is so important for like a person who embodies blackness and like who lives in a black body because there is hardly ever an invitation to like use our cells and our experience as the point of reference and as the credible evidence. Mm. Always there is this sort of call to go outside of ourselves mm-hmm. and explain what we know or explain what we know like embodied through embodied knowledge with this like outside source mm-hmm. or with this outside understanding of a thing. And to not have to do that, to not have to go any further than your living room mm-hmm. or your kitchen or like your grandparents' house just felt so wonderful. <laughs> I can see you lighting up and glowing as you talk about it. I love that you shared that specifically because I feel like there's been like this disconnect between scholarship and research and actual organizing Mm -hmm. because in organizing, we always talk about why it's so important to center people's lived experience and that should be the basis and the start of everything. And then like you said, you get into scholarship and research and it's like, you have to be unbiased, you have to be objective and you have to like separate yourself from it. But if we are centering the people who have the experience and we want them to lead the movements, they have to bring their experience into it, right? And research can be a form of activism, so they have to be included in that as well. So I love that you're kind of connecting those two and you're like bridging it for me, like that connection between research and scholarship and activism. Mm -hmm. And one thing I'll say too, as I'm kind of trying to figure out what I want to do post-graduation, this, the discipline of applied anthropology keeps coming up Mm -hmm. and I don't know super much about it, but whenever I think about it, I'm like, I don't know that it's super fair to say, at least for what I want to do, that it's fair to separate applied anthropology as this sort of separate track or this separate Mm -hmm. discipline because I never want to use my anthropology just, you know, knowledge for knowledge's sake. Like, Mm -hmm. I always want to apply it to do something or Mm -hmm. 
to bring life to something or to recognize the life that is already there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like my understanding of research, and I know that it's not everyone's, but my understanding of research and scholarship is always that it should be meant to do exactly the connection that we want. Right, and can you speak a little bit more to what applied anthropology is? Cause I'm like, what? Yeah, so I think me and you both, but my understanding- (laughs) Thank you, I appreciate that. (laughs) So my understanding is that applied anthropologists can like do their field work in a community, whether it's a community that they're a part of or not, and then use that information to inform like the practices of an organization that interacts with that community or like informs policy. So mm-hmm. I guess I feel like an example that I was most recently introduced to is like if you are an anthropologist for like a corporation and the corporation is trying to figure out how to get like employee morale up, you kind of do some field work in the organization and then figure okay. out what are some of the norms, what are like what are processes that go on in the workspace that sort of facilitate that and then y'all develop a plan together like apply what you discovered anthropologically Mm -hmm. to figure out a plan forward Mm -hmm. that's as far as my understanding goes (laughs) that makes a lot of sense isn't there like a study of like or there's a, a certain type of research, it's like community-based or community-informed, you know what I'm talking about? Community-based participatory research. Yes, Oh my yes. gosh, you don't know how bad I want to get trained in that methodology. Okay. <laughs> yes. we gotta make that happen. I know, I just, it makes so much sense to me um, because you shouldn't, you shouldn't do anything like separate from the people mm-hmm. that you want to do it for, mm-hmm. and I say for in quotes, because mm-hmm. doing things for people mm-hmm. as a scholar can sort of have like this nasty taste, leave a nasty taste in your mouth, but yeah. One Love. thing that I learned when I was taking an African feminisms course and learning about black feminism and womanism from an international standpoint was that African feminisms were very, or African feminists were very, um, adamant about not studying people for the sake of studying people but studying like ourselves and being in community and I feel like that's something that you're really highlighting and I feel like in western culture we become so individualistic and we separate ourselves from what we're doing whether that's studying or anything Mm -hmm. and in a more collective culture we don't really run into those issues but because knowledge production is so prioritized in the west we see our way of studying things as the gold standard when it's not necessarily the best Mm -hmm. because of imperialism and racism and white supremacy culture totally it's all connected (laughs) And originally, I was going to ask you about how autoethnography can be bridged with storytelling as a means of activism, but I feel like you've just kind of (laughs) given us that. So I want to save some space in case there's more you want to talk about for that, but I feel like you have addressed that for sure. I think also, I think the only thing I'll add to is like, storytelling can be a form of research or can be a form of inquiry because you can like, when you work to elicit a story from some, like from a loved one or from a friend, like... Mm -hmm. That, that is a process of like what we call building rapport when you're trying to interview a, like a research participant or mm-hmm. um, anything like that. And so I think any conversation that we have or any like internal meditation that we have mm-hmm. about like, ooh, what do I think about this? Or, mm-hmm. ooh, how does this affect me? Mm-hmm. Um, that can certainly be this introduction to a larger story. Right. And I love 
this concept because I was sharing at last night's talk about how storytelling is so important because it helps us in changing the narrative that we hear in media and narrative changes policy and it changes the culture and also changing culture is super important and you do that by meeting people where they're at and sharing their stories. So if we're looking at traditional media and we're hearing all of this misinformation, my focus I like to talk about is abortion. We're all this misinformation about abortion or all this stigma. Once we have people who have had abortion share their stories, we can combat that stigma and that shame and that misinformation and give people practical ways to engage with the conversation instead of like this really scary thing that we see that's framed through misinformation and through stigma and shame. And so I feel like by telling stories, we can get people to see what's actually happening on an individual level so people can make decisions for themselves instead of the powers that be telling us what they think we should hear so that they can have the outcome that they want. Absolutely. So that's one way I love like connecting it on a like more individual level. Mm-hmm. I totally Amazing. agree. Amazing. So talking about abortion access and reproductive justice, I love to transition to you as an entrepreneur and your organization, your, your jewelry collective. Could you talk more about the work that y'all do? Yeah. So Beats for Our Bodies is a feminist jewelry collective founded by me and my first year college roommate. <laughs> um, and at first, our goal was twofold. Um, we wanted to be like a social justice education space as well as um as well as a jewelry collective that just incubates um, self-expression sort of as a mechanism for autonomy and a mechanism to like express individual choice. Um, but we sort of, we've transitioned more into the second, um, focusing on how we can empower youth specifically through our designs um, in like being confident in their self-perception, self-identity, and then also like knowing that the way that they choose to present themselves to the world mm-hmm. is this form of choice amidst all the chaos that tries to revoke our choice. Mm, that's beautiful. And so uh, what? how did Beats for Our Bodies begin? What was the origin story to that? So um, te- the Texas abortion ban mm. made my roommate and I both feel like there was like something creeping into Georgia and also just like into the nation that we really were not comfortable with and that we wanted to do something about. Mm-hmm. And we both had picked up jewelry making as a quarantine hobby. and. Um, so we were like, I don't know, actually, literally Jill, the, my co-founder, she came, we were like, I was getting dressed or something one morning, and she was like, I had an idea. Um, and she's like, what if we made jewelry and sold the profits to people supporting abortions? And I was like, that's an amazing idea. And she was like, what if we called it Beats for Our Bodies? And I was also like, that's an amazing idea. Um, so like... Jill was kind of like, this was her brainchild. And then we worked together to figure out how we wanted to make it happen. Um, And we made the decision early on that we didn't necessarily only want to stay local because like any work to increase access to reproductive justice resources is important. But like we wanted to be local in the idea that like every organization deserves to still stand. And so if there is an organization that maybe has a little bit more funding mm-hmm. than another one. Let's prioritize like supporting um, these organizations that like don't have this national recognition and don't right. have like this like don't have a lobbying team, you know. <laughs> That's a good point. I feel like there's so much important work happening in the reproductive justice movement by very small, scrappy organizations, grassroots organizations. And of course, all we hear about in the news and the media is like the Planned Parenthoods and the NARAWs. Um, 
And as we know, most people, most abortions happen at clinics that are independent clinics. They don't happen at Planned Parenthoods. Majority of abortions happen at independent clinics. So it's important that we're supporting independent small mm -hmm. organizations and clinics and not just the ones that get all this recognition. Because again, they have a lot of money and what are they doing with the money? We need to help people on the ground who are also not only advocating for communities, but in the communities that they're advocating for and with. Mm, absolutely, that part. And I actually didn't know that about um, the majority of abortions happening at independent clinics. Mm -hmm. But exactly what you said, this idea of like staying close to community mm -hmm. because just because they're just because the name may not be like registered on Instagram or like registered <laughs> as a place in our head like mm -hmm. that place does such important work mm -hmm. and I think really my proximity to Karis mm -hmm. um, as an Agnes Scott student really helps solidify to me like the importance of knowing what resources you have in your community that can provide you this service or provide you this support mm -hmm. and like making sure that stays open mm -hmm. because sometimes people have to commute to yes. Planned Parenthood or people have to commute to someplace else mm -hmm. but if there's this place that they may not know about or mm -hmm. that I don't know about but literally exists for them mm -hmm. that should always that that like route to access should always stay open Exactly. I'm um, on the board of an abortion fund in California, and we have like our monthly reports about who we're servicing, who we're providing abortion funding for. And of course, since Dobbs, many of that support has come from people out of state. So we're supporting some, sometimes even out of the country or in places like Puerto Rico. So people have to, like you said, travel very far, travel from Texas all the way to California just to have abortion care. That's very expensive. That's very inconvenient. Um, but if we can support people in having access in their own communities, that would make a lot of difference. So it's really great that organizations like you and Collective like yours are supporting them financially but also we need politicians to create laws so that they are allowed to exist and that they're not being closed down for like legality reasons so thank you for sharing that um, another thing that oh before I transition to my next question I wanted to ask you about beats for our bodies is there any work that you're looking into getting into soon that we could support you with or any new programs or projects that that's a great question um, we actually just did a sort of restructuring of our, I don't want to say business model, because I don't even know if I'm using that it term. It is a business model. You're a business. <laughs> like, keeping, keeping kind of aligned with the way that we really just want to like show up in community mm -hmm. as best as we can. Mm -hmm. As full-time students, Like there's no way that we want to like remove ourselves from being being an organization because our schedules are because of our workloads. Um, and so we've kind of decided to transition into a store, like more of a storefront or in-person vendor. So we'll be doing a lot of local vendor fairs. So if you hear about those, please come out, please support, um, especially those in the cater area. Um, but um, certainly following us on Instagram, at beads, the number four, our bodies, um, and like spreading our mission, spreading our, uh, organization around and also suggesting places that have been like a great resource for you um, or like a place that is dear to your heart a cause that's dear to your heart that you think should be supported um, we are always like trying to stay up to date on places to add to our resource list to donate to um, and definitely like holding ourselves accountable to that yeah so yeah following suggesting places that y'all would love to see funded um, or just supported by us in any way um, and if you have some jewelry designs that you want to see, also hit us up. I was going to ask, is it just you and Jill that design the jewelry? Mm-hmm. We are a, <laughs> a two-person team. And uh, sophomore year, we had tried to expand our team. But we had to like make the hard decision to realize, like, you have to be in a place to where you can lead people if you mm -hmm. want to invite people into your team. And mm -hmm. if you can't give if you just don't have the capacity to like lead well 
we decided that we shouldn't be leading. Um, we had invited someone onto our team as like our like social media coordinator and kind of like communications person, but it got to a point where we were like, we can't even like offer the support that we know we want to to you in this role. And so, yeah, if we if we're not compensating you and if we're not, I know like compensation for you too is really important. Like if we're not compensating you or if we're not like offering this like leadership and like being a team, then even though it would be helpful, like. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be like putting that on someone else. Mm-hmm. That's good that you're very self-aware <laughs> and that y'all had that moment of introspection. Um, I'm very, I have a very strong belief in paying people for things. And I actually had an intern who actually just graduated from Spelman, um, Anaya Baines. And I thought if I have someone on the team, I actually had a few people. I had like four people on the team at one point. I don't know how I did that. But I was like, if I add all these people, like I have to do less work. Like it's going to like lighten my load. But it like requires labor and like work to support them and being the best that they can be. And like I was like, okay, it might be easy for me to just do it all by myself. But if you have the capacity or you have the means or the resources to outsource things or to like even if you're doing school work and you can or doing a school project and you can work with other people um, outside of like a business framework I definitely recommend you do that we shouldn't be holding all of this work by ourselves especially as black women I know we're like oh I'll just do it all by myself I can do it myself if you need support and you can have that support definitely have that support um, but I also just love working with other like younger black women and like an internship aspect because um, my latest intern who's still with me right now Cameron Jackson at Tulane was able to present at the Black Feminist Futures Conference um, and do like she had a press pass and she's doing interviews and content for TikTok and stuff and so it was so fun being able to be somewhat of a mentor to her and have her go out and go to a conference and talk about black feminism and be with other people and network um, and having seen her connect with some of my friends I didn't even know was going to be there and them sending me selfies so um, I think for me as part of my like professional development it was really important um, and impactful for me to like invest in someone else that way because so many people have invested in me and I take so much like pride and appreciation for that and so just to do that in like a fraction of a way um, meant a lot but also you're still an undergrad I'm not an undergrad so it makes sense that you got to take a step back Um, but the fact that you even were pursuing that at such a young age while you're doing so many other things I feel like speaks to you know just what you're going to do in the world as you have more capacity and more time thank you so shout out to you and Jill (laughs) Um, speaking of mentorship and supporting people I wanted to ask you since we're here and Karis is supporting us Agnes Scott is supporting um, me being out here I wanted to ask you um kind of the impact of the Karis Bookstore and Artricia and ER and how they've kind of made this a place as an incubator for young activists and black people and yeah, activists in general coming together and just doing collective learning and collective work together. Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of uncovering the history, like the fa- how far back Karis's history goes, but um, my introduction to Karis as I became an Agnes Scott student I was like mesmerized. I just thought it was so, there was so much history and texture and richness. And like, I think back to how like, there are like varying degrees of censorship in activist movements, like just based on what spaces you can get access to or like who can support you or like what, fun, what kind of funding you can get. Um, and I just think for Karis to like have continued to be a place where active, like hosting book talks, mm-hmm. the Karis Circle does something like every week. Um, They're having another event right after this. Like it's multiple amazing. times a day. It's amazing. And I think like just that labor of love to connect mm-hmm. people, like to disseminate this information, um, to like let people know that there are people who are doing this work already and like that you can learn from and you can engage with one just continues to inform like the way that I want to collaborate with people like as a person 
um, in my schoolwork or like net networking with people, you know, networking is a huge thing, but like knowing Karis has made networking also feel less mm. icky because like that's how things happen. That's how like beautiful relationships and like beautiful movements start. Um, but also like that sort of framework definitely informed the decisions that Jill and I have made with Beats for Our Bodies because like I had mentioned, we wanted to be a social justice education platform. But when one, we realized like timing and things, I don't know if that's where we want to put our effort, if that's where we feel most home. But two, we know that there are a number of organizations out there that are already doing this fabulous work to dedicate the time to educate folks, to put out these resources and put out these toolkits. And it would be a disservice or like a detraction to kind of be new and step into the space and say that we want to do the exact same that this long-standing organization has been doing mm -hmm. as opposed to recognizing where we fit in this lineage of work mm -hmm. and like love and redirect all the attention that we could garner to that organization in that respect mm -hmm. so like not to denigrate the way that we could have showed up in that way but like recognizing that this is this isn't just on us like we don't only have the responsibility to do all of the stuff mm -hmm. there are so many people out there who are doing this and we can all work together like mm -hmm. i don't like you were mentioning individualism i don't have to feel like i have to take the initiative mm -hmm. to like show up in every way in this mm -hmm. movement instead i can recognize who else is here and who has been here long before jill and i mm -hmm. and figure out how we can network how we can support how we can direct attention to each other mm -hmm. I love that answer. Um, I feel like that requires a lot of decentering oneself. Um, and as much as we'd love activism to be like all, just altruistic and all that stuff, um, a lot of it can be like self-centered and like wanting to be the loudest you know, voice in the room or wanting to be the person at the protest behind the mic. And a lot of times people can get caught up in that and kind of forget what it means to advocate for one's community. And I feel like you and Jill having that moment where you can step back and say, do I need to recreate this thing that's already existing, this system that's working perfectly just so I can have a space that I can call my own? Yeah. Or do I step in and support and ask how I can yeah. maybe help and like change things or like maybe they didn't think of this avenue or as a young person maybe I can help them reach this demographic instead of like doing this whole other project on your own um so I feel like you and Jill I'm just like in awe of you all like being this young having these thoughts there's so many people so many organizations that are created that um are doing the exact thing exact same things that black and brown people are already doing in their communities and taking um the credit from them that and person. it's like if you as someone who hasn't been on this earth as long can acknowledge that that's not the best thing to do why are these organizations getting all this money to kind of take the credit in the work of mm. black women and black people and that's something that's happened with the reproductive justice movement and that co-optation of the term by white wealthy people who are saying like oh we're reproductive justice advocates and have no racial analysis to the work they're doing um so i love that you all have that and another thing you spoke on that i wanted to mention was you said networking can be kind of icky and i feel again like in this individualistic society that we live in we see networking as i'm connecting with this person to have some type of personal gain for myself for my career but if you just think of it as community building, like you're networking and maybe this person is more advanced in their career than you, but you could also support them. And you're just like growing your community and growing the resources you have available to yourselves and to other people. So I think I see Piper in the back. I have a friend that I want to connect Piper with. And so me and Piper talking might not benefit me directly, but it can benefit my friend who's more established in their career could also benefit Piper. So just like growing that community is what we're doing. You don't have to feel icky about networking because you could support someone else that you meet later on yeah, anyways. So totally, totally. I just wanted to name that. Yeah. So and shout out to you again. I also want to thank you for bringing up that like 
there is a sort of like I didn't realize that what was kind of influencing the choice of wanting to take a step back or like knowing trying to do some deep work and to figure out how Jill and I fit in was actually really rooted in this recognition of co-optation mm -hmm. and like the the devaluing of the work that black and brown people have been doing mm -hmm. way before mm -hmm. other people come in. Mm -hmm. I didn't like that was the thing that was the driving reason but I didn't <laughs> I didn't name that so thank you for naming that for me. Of course, of course. Um Another thing that I wanted, to, sorry, <laughs> um, another thing that I wanted to talk about, which you mentioned with Beats for Our Bodies um, and wanting to kind of stay local was, I'm sure y'all all know that Atlanta has basically become the home of the reproductive justice movement. There's so many reproductive justice organizations out here. A lot of people who are moving the movement forward. You have Sister Song, you have Carist, you have Feminist Women's Health Center, um, Arc Southeast. I'm trying to name the ones I can think of. Sister Love. There's so many organizations out here that are really pushing this movement forward and so I wanted to ask you is there any like does it feel special doing work specifically in this city and in this area um, and do you feel like a connection to being so close to the movement yes 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 <laughs> um, I think what made it so what made such what made Beats for Our Body such an obvious way to tap into this work was because that we were indicator and because we had kind of seen seen all these organizations that are doing work and because we knew that policy changes that were going to undermine reproductive justice efforts were going to attack these standing institutions in our city. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I think we really felt um, this, I don't know how to, like this connection to these organizations that are here and have been here. Mm -hmm. And like, because we can call like them neighbors and like we live in the same home now, like mm -hmm. it felt so important to make sure that they stayed. Mm -hmm. It felt so important to make sure that these places could continue to be here. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah, and I think as I continue to like grow in my feminism journey and grow in my reproductive justice journey, it is also wonderful to know that like, I can, I can reach out to anyone here and like just see what happens. Mm -hmm. I can intern at Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies. I can intern at like Sister Song, Sister Love, or like literally just ask them, can you explain what HB so-and-so means to me? <laughs> and they will. Right. And they love doing that. Yes. They love bringing new people into the movement. So that's amazing. I love that. Every time I come to the Atlanta area, I'm just like, wow. Like, I'm at the place where it's really happening. Like, I feel like it starts here and it, like, expands throughout the U.S. We're really in the South, but centered in the Atlanta area. So it feels, especially as someone who's from Texas and is now living in California, it just feels... I don't know, so like rooted down in the South and especially here. It's like, mm -hmm. ooh, I feel chills. Yeah, so true, ooh. so true. I'm sorry, I'm fighting this mic. Um, so we've heard all the things that you're doing. You're interning at Justice for Black Girls. Mm -hmm. You're an entrepreneur, Beats for Our Bodies. You're also a student. How do you manage all of this, being a college activist, being a scholar, being all these things? It is very <laughs> difficult. Um, and I think it has, caused me to do a lot of thinking about like what kind of activism I want to do, what kind of activist I want to be, and like how I want to show up. Um, and I remember I, we were kind of talking like being a college student has made me really, really think about the type of activism mm -hmm. that I want. Um, and I will say, it. I mean, I, I don't think there's a way that I can make this sound nice. It did make, like the decisions that I had to think through kind of felt like scaling down um like i wanted to be um in front of the capitol walking down georgia state boulevard or whatever all the time um and i was like that 
one doesn't really work for my schedule <laughs> <laughs> two um i just yeah i just i don't know if that's what feels like the most home to me mm -hmm. and that was a hard thing to think through because it felt like like a bad activist like mm -hmm. to be a bad activist was to mean that you weren't down with a sign and with mm -hmm. a megaphone um but i think thinking back to like this the way that we like fit into this larger ecosystem or landscape of social justice like and also like my like my ongoing black feminist education, that there is no one type of black girl, there's no one type of black feminism, like mm -hmm. there is no one type of activist. Mm -hmm. um, and so whether I'm going downtown or not, like I can still do something else. Mm -hmm. um, and there doesn't have to be that sort of paralysis that makes me think because I'm not there, like I can't do anything. Right. Um, or because I'm not there, like I don't, deserve to, I don't deserve to be posting about this or I don't deserve to be talking about this at the lunch table because I didn't go. Mm -hmm. um, and that was very difficult for me uh, to make that decision, but it was a good one for me. Mm -hmm. And I also think I was, um, I worked with the Georgia Youth Justice Coalition last semester and um, I was a youth lobbyist at the state capitol and like working in working in the policy space i realized too how much strategy goes into it and um like there are a lot more there are a lot different avenues for strategic action elsewhere mm -hmm. and i think that was a sort of affirming process for me too to think if i don't do this that's okay like if i don't go protest or like I don't know, if I don't call someone, that's fine because I can also find out this other strategic action to take. Mm -hmm. um, and it felt hard too because like living in the South and living in Georgia where like marches were happening, marches were happening. <laughs> like it felt like I wasn't like living up to the legacy or living up to the call, but mm -hmm. it's about like figuring out how I can best use my skills and how I can best mm -hmm. serve. Definitely. Have you found a method that works best for you and that feels authentic? Hmm. I think talking has always been talking has always been something that has felt most like home to me. So I like to do a lot of discussion with friends. Mm -hmm. um, and I think also if we think about like the ways that like the the, the products that academia puts out, like the research and the briefs, like some t that most of the time that stays in academic circles mm -hmm. because we're not disseminating that to the public. And the paywall to access research and articles. Paywall. Like oh my gosh, yes. Them. Um, and so kind of bringing that to Evan's dining hall discussions feels like one of the pathways to really like de-academize, I just made that up, um, de-academize <laughs> knowledge. Um, so that feels really like home to me. Um, and I also, I still haven't found a good one though. Mm -hmm. um, like I was literally just reflecting maybe two days ago on like my involvement in the Stop Cop City movement mm -hmm. because I really wanted to do like some canvassing over the summer, but my summer got away from me and I was like, I just don't know. I I would really be devastated if like this project, if this, if this happens and I just want to show up and I don't know how. And then I was like, okay, Kennedy, they tell you you can call people. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that gives me so much anxiety. <laughs> but then I was like, but lit and I was like, also, what if they, like, what if the person on the phone is mean to me? Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to face that rejection, but I'm making the decision now. I'm like, literally, I don't have to get a good reception from the person on the other side of the phone, and I probably won't. Like, that is the reality. But to know 
to know that I can be persistent and like mm-hmm. they can hate me, but if they remember my voice, mm-hmm. if they remember that I kept calling mm-hmm. and like if it happens that Cop City doesn't get built because of that, like, oh my gosh, that's what we want. Right. Or that's what I want. Um, and so I hope that's what we all want. <laughs> um, so kind of like it's a lot of talking back to this like internal voice, mm-hmm. um, this like internal opposition that I feel uh, this like this like mode of social acceptability mm-hmm. in terms of like the type of activist that I am, but also like, oh, politicians are scary. Like, mm-hmm. yes, they are. And yes, this will be difficult. And yes, this is hard. That doesn't really change what I want to do, though. You know, I, I think this is such a long answer. I'm sorry. No, it's OK. I think like I had been feeling like there was something wrong with me for being scared to call someone or being scared to like go up to a politician. Mm-hmm. but taking a step back and realizing like, oh, that is true. Now what? Like, mm-hmm. now what? My answer doesn't change. Like, I still want to do the thing. Mm-hmm. So let me not gaslight myself into thinking that there's some, like, I am deficient in some way mm-hmm. and a bad activist in some way. And I shouldn't, like, I shouldn't step into this space mm-hmm. because I'm afraid or because I don't have that confidence. I cannot have that confidence and still do the thing. Right. And I might even appreciate my work a little bit more for that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And having the anxiety about calling people, that's just like personality based. Like some people want to get out there and be in front of the mic and talk to people and some people don't. And I was sharing this at the talk yesterday. I feel like we think of activism and we think of the people who are at the protest behind the mic are really galvanizing people. But in order for people to come out to a protest and care about an issue enough to be at the protest to listen to someone, they need that political education that could happen at Evans through conversations with you. Right. So they need to know why this issue matters, why it relates to them. And people aren't typically learning that at the protest. At the protest, we're, we're making demands, we're galvanizing people, we're showing solidarity with each other, but that learning happens in smaller communities, and we need people like you, we need the talkers to educate people to have these conversations and to like build that collective knowledge together so that when they see issues happening and they see demonstrations happening, they're like, oh, I want to go to this because I had this conversation and I know why it's so important, so now let me go show up. Now let me go to the Capitol and let me go protest to the politicians because I had that learning. So I think we think of activism as this one thing, but it's that thing, what I just talked about to you, and then so many other things. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so many other things as well. Um, an example I love to give is with the Black Panther movement and how we think of, you know, MLK, we think about Michael X and everybody at the protests and being in front of the microphone, but also people providing food for the children and having those those food um, programs and the education programs, like those are really important too. And we don't know those people's names and we don't know those faces, but they did really impactful work and they were activists and they're just not remembered. But that doesn't mean that they weren't activists. Um, There's also like some misogynoir in there and Mm -hmm. some other things of why we don't typically know those names. Um, But activism is so wide. um, And I don't want people to think that if they're not the center of attention, that they're not an activist. And a lot of people who are the center of attention in the movements aren't there for the right reason. So I don't want anyone to be discouraged from being an activist or identifying as an activist just because they're not, you know, out in front of everyone. Also, some people have social anxiety and maybe they have a stutter. Maybe they don't want to talk in front of people. That's okay. You can still be an activist. So I love that you're finding a way to or you're finding your 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 position in the movement and how you want to show up um, because you are needed in the movement. And it may not be in these other ways that people expect you to show up, but it's how you show up for for the movement and for people. And you also mentioned social acceptability. And I want to push back on that because if this stuff was socially acceptable, we wouldn't have to be advocating and talking and have these things so if there's people who aren't accepting you that's probably fine that's that's encouragement for you to do it more because we need to get people to accept it so that we can change the culture and change the policies and change people's material lives so 
I loved the long. I loved the long answers because I was like, oh, I want to talk about this, 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 and this. <laughs> so it was perfectly fine. Um, I want to ask you. Sorry, I I love the long answer, but then I also was like, okay, wait, I forgot where I was going. <laughs> um, so. You talked about college activism. How has it been managing being an activist and managing all the other things in your life as well? Um, I think, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's real. Um, for better or for worse, mm -hmm. I, it just happens. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that's probably also not an informative answer either, but like, I, it just happened. It feels, to be candid, it feels oftentimes a lot like I'm not doing what I want to mm. be doing like I'm not where I want to be mm -hmm. um, it feels a lot like lagging mm -hmm. um, not like not hitting these marks that I kind of set for myself mm -hmm. especially with beats for our bodies mm -hmm. um, but I I still think it's important like mm -hmm. I I'm not upset about it enough to where I think I should step away entirely mm -hmm. I think I value what I can give and I just mm -hmm. think what can happen as a result of that right. is I'm, I'm really attached to the outcome still. Um, and so whether it's as much as I want to be doing or not, mm -hmm. like I, I try to do it as much as I can. Mm -hmm. I ask that question because you are doing a lot and I know it's very common for people to burn themselves out and overextend themselves, especially as young black women and feeling like we have to prove ourselves and prove our worth. And so I just want to encourage you to take breaks as you need and also just remembering that we're doing this work for longevity mm -hmm. and not just like doing as much as possible in a short amount of time, but like how are we building sustainability in this movement and we can only be sustainable if we're taking care of ourselves and if we're like pacing ourselves, you know, like mm -hmm. taking pieces at a time. Um, and that's why it's so important for as activists as organizers to build a community so when you're going through whatever you're going through life is still happening sickness is still happening school is still happening when you have to take a step back and prioritize yourself you're in a community of people who can pick that up and so when they need a break also you're there and you can pick that up so that's why it's so important for us to do this work not in silos not by ourselves like I'm the lone activist and I'm educating everybody on social media and I'm at the protest by myself like no build a community around you because then you're you're doing that political education right they're going back to their communities and their families and they're sharing that political education and then also y'all can support each other and show up for each other because again we're doing this for collective liberation mm -hmm. so if it's all individualistic and I'm doing all the stuff by myself who am I liberating well who's the collective that I'm liberating right and we should be working together to liberate ourselves and not like oh I'm this person I'm liberating everyone else because like I'm better than them or I'm more advanced than them or I'm just like this God-given person that's come to save everybody no we're fighting for our own liberation and so I really like for people to like see it from that point of view and also just to remind you that it's okay to take breaks for yourself and I feel like you know that but sometimes it's good to like hear it because we be forgetting sometimes it's like oh yeah I do deserve a break the the world is crashing and burning but I also deserve to prioritize myself and prioritize joy and so I feel like it's really good to hear that because I know when I was at your age I was like everything has to happen I was angry as hell y'all I was so angry with the world I was like everything has to happen now um and years later I'm seeing more issues arise issues develop and they become worse and it's like it's never going to just, unfortunately, all in, but we're just working to, to get it better each day to a point where hopefully soon, at some point, it'll, we'll be liberated. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Of course. Thank you for being here with me. That was my final question. Can we give a round of applause for Kennedy? <laughs> Y'all, 
Wow, she is so brilliant. Um, thank you so much for all the work that you do. Thank you all for showing up here. Before y'all move, one, I want to save some time for any questions from the audience. Also, I would love to get a picture with y'all before you leave, so don't escape yet. Um, but before the picture, I'll save some space to see if anybody has any questions or any comments or anything you'd like to share. Thank y'all so much for listening to this episode of Black Feminist Rants. Again, this is Vlogmas, so there will be another episode tomorrow. Leave in the comments what you want to hear on the podcast for the next 19 days or however many days are left in this Vlogmas series that I'm doing. Um, all the links to all the things that Kennedy talked about will be in the description. Thank y'all so much for listening. I appreciate y'all. Make sure you subscribe, follow us on TikTok, Instagram, all the things. Black Feminist out. <laughs>